There had actually been some reports prior to Monday Night Raw that the Roman Reigns announcement would have been him facing The Undertaker at SummerSlam just a couple months after beating him at WrestleMania. Brian, thank God that did not come to fruition because that would have been maybe the worst booking decision in the history of WWE, maybe even in the history of professional wrestling. What, what what reports? Like what dirt sheet? Is this so? Is this like thirteen year old the Silver King sitting in front of his computer, you know, sending out there? I mean, you, what's it's on? funny about that Silver King. Like we're all around the same age. Like I'm, we're in our mid thirties. Brian, maybe in the maybe in his early forties. Yeah, maybe in the early forties, late thirties. But uh, do you remember back in the day, like in like the late nineties, like being on the dirt sheets, like when the Montreal screw job happened, reading about it, like late Sunday night, like because I didn't watch Survivor Series ninety seven. I loved the old school dirt sheets. I owned ran and operated a dirt sheet with 50,000 subscribers. What was it? Called Top Rope Newsletter. That is, um, how did I not know that? I don't think we ever discussed it. The Top Rope Newsletter? Top Rope Newsletter had a website, would cover pay-per-views when, you know, WWE was bothered by that. And I actually got a cease and desist from, from WWE. WWE. Yeah, because I was giving away the product. Yeah, Adam may or may not been subpoenaed. The only nerd thing I can match that is during my breaks as the janitor at Stop and Shop in '98, <laughs> I would call this 900 number on the company dime without them knowing to hear Gene Oakland give me inside Nitro secrets. Uh, you, that's, you, that's the WCW hotline you used to call. I I gotta be honest with you, buddy. I can't picture you like you're too you're too out there like your personality's too strong like i can't see you as a janitor like that must have been difficult for you uh you don't you don't want to know what i've seen what i've cleaned what i've touched we we uh oh. and i think on that note bry what should we do right now what music should we hit hit me with my theme song In this corner with Brian Campbell, it is the professional wrestling edition. I am handsome Nick Costos, and I look pretty handsome today. I put a picture up on Instagram earlier that a lot of girls have liked and direct messaged me about. They have slid into my DMs because I look very handsome in that picture. I urge you to check it out at the Costos on Instagram, at the Costos on Twitter. I am a pathetic human being. I need your adulation in order to justify my existence on this planet. So please hit me with those likes. I am nothing without them. And as always, I am joined by my tag team partners, beginning with the honorable, the great, the hardworking, the man himself, he is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. Hey now. And as always, that was a nice draw out there in the hey now. I like that Silver King. And as always, I am also joined by the man whose name is on the marquee. Come on. He is the showstopper. Let's go. He's the icon. Bring it. He is the main event. My man. He is the bod that guides the pod. One time. He is the mast that guides the cast. Here we go. You know his name. He is the Brian Campbell. Oh, yeah. BC, kindly tell the listeners what's on the podcast today. It's time to get some of this after arguably the most shameless intro in Nick Costas history. (laughs) We are back on In This Corner and like Nia Jax, guys, we're not like most podcasts right here. We're bringing it to the people for the people you know, sometimes by the people, as you'll see later in the DM segment, but great show today. What we are here to do once again is give you your weekly fix of that performance enhancing audio, slinging the juice like a prime Victor Conte. Listen, folks, <laughs> we want you 
to want me on in this corner. You know the Brian Campbell is lighting up your playlist lately with one action-packed episode after another from boxing to MMA to WWE. So do us a solid in return. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Subscribe, rate, review. Let's get those numbers up. Show us you're listening. Show us what you love. Spread that love on social media at hashtag in this corner. And if you want even more in this corner, WWE style, of course, check out our Money in the Bank instant analysis pod from earlier this week. But without further ado, let me hand it back to the most passionate man in North America. Yes, you can find him on Tinder, ladies, Nick Costas. And also, just for the record, you can also find me on Bumble and Coffee Meets Bagel, and I appreciate that from Cousin Yuri, a.k.a. Victor Conti, a.k.a. King Balco the first, slinging <laughs> the performance-enhancing audio, of course, the great Brian Campbell. Gentlemen, as always, we begin with the main event, and we're going to start off with what we saw on Monday Night Raw, the big dog, Roman Reigns, returning after a week off, announcing his intention to have a universal title match at SummerSlam. Had does the promo with Samoa Joe, faces Samoa Joe later, and Braun Strowman returns earlier than expected to cost Reigns his match with Joe. Strowman challenges Reigns to an ambulance match at Great Balls of Fire, so it looks like that's what we're going to get. We're going to cover this from every angle, including spinning it forward to what we may see at SummerSlam. Brian Campbell, first word to you. Hashtag fired up, Brian Campbell. And the dog, I feel at home. I'm fired up because normally I watch Raw like everybody else. I have to sit through the commercials through the three-hour monotony doing the live recap. This week's schedule got flipped upside down. I got to power watch it. I got to fast forward. I got to Lucky just you. take it in and enjoy it. And you know what? Maybe you didn't have the same experience, but the way I watched it, Raw was red hot today, and it was red this week, and it was red hot because of the launching of this Range Joe sort of stay busy, maybe not going to be a feud down the line, but for right now, we're just going to drop a match in it and let it happen. Guys, it was all about that Roman Reigns promo to start it off. Roman is a heel. He's a damn heel. He is. I know, no, 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 he's not a heel. No, no, he is, because he's not humble. He's bringing it. He's intense. He's short. With his speech, he might be the best performer right now in the company in terms of he may have passed AJ. AJ's been a little bottled up and storylines aren't as intense. For this section of of weeks right now, Roman's on top of his game. The intensity was was great. And if again, when Samoa Joe's involved in something lately, it feels like a real fight. That's why it's different. This, you inserted that storyline of Samoan on Samoan violence. Like, we all know Roman Reigns' real name in, in real life is Joe, you know, the, the shortened name of, of his longer Samoan name. But to hear him just basically call Samoa Joe, you know, like an ordinary Joe. You're not, you're not Samoa Joe. You're just Joe. All of that symmetry coming in together, the Joe headbutt, I mean, that's the best way to escalate a feud I'm not even going to touch Braun for this second. I just want to pop first for how good Reigns and Joe, and we know it's not going to be a long-term thing, but for right now, man, this was great. So I'll stay away from the Strowman stuff since you did. I agree. I thought it was Reigns, his strongest promo that we've seen in quite some time. I mean, I I can't legitimately remember him being in the ring delivering that kind of promo for that length of time. Maybe night after WrestleMania, Silver King. That's the only one that even maybe even slightly comes to mind. But that was because of the silence. It wasn't because of him. You're right. These were actually his own words putting himself over, and it worked. Now, was it rehearsed? Maybe. That's fine. You know, Jinder Mahal has rehearsed his best promos. You've seen it. It it works. So I was really happy with what they did with Roman, and I got to tell you, I am absolutely marking out over how they're building Samoa Joe right now. They're doing an absolutely incredible job. 
And they're doing it by making him the best kind of heel, a badass who's just not scared of anyone, not scared of Lesnar, not scared of Reigns, is not going to take that uh, Samoa Joe slap in the face and comes right back at him, not just in that segment, but in the match later. Uh, And he actually can win matches on his own. And that's the type of heel that I like, a bad guy who can actually win without distraction, even though I guess Joe did get some distraction, but a a guy who can win without it um, and who just looks strong no matter who you put him against. That's why that won me over. All right, so let's stay away from the Strowman angle for this for a moment. We'll get to that momentarily. But just on Reigns, I tweeted this after it happened again. I need your adulation. Please follow me and like my tweets at the Costos. Feel free to retweet them as well as I'm shamelessly promoting myself here. But um, that was Reigns' best work, and I, I'm with Silver King here. That may be the best promo he's ever cut, pound for pound, second for second. It was outstanding because he's finally playing the crowd. He's trolling the crowd, which is what I think all of us have really wanted him to do for quite some time. Like, he's not coming out there and trying to force a square peg into a circular hole anymore. He's not trying to be this good guy. That's not what people want him to be, so he might as well feed the monster, right? If people want to boo him, then he's saying, you know what? Or creative saying, you know what? Go out there and get the boos. Now, one thing I will disagree with you on, Bri, you said he's a heel. He's not a heel. I mean, he might be an anti-hero at this point, but he's not doing heel things. Like, he's not going to attack someone from behind. He's not going to cheat to win. He's not going to do any of those dastardly heel things. I think right now that he's sort of towing the line between heel and anti-hero, but he's much more face than he is heel at this point. And I think that because of the merchandise sales, because the kids love him, the women love him, I don't think that they're going to do a full heel turn with Roman Reigns. But I'll tell you what, for me, as a 34-year-old male, I'm digging what Roman Reigns is doing right now as someone who's always gravitated towards the heel I haven't been a fan of his work recently, and I really liked Bri, what I saw from him on Monday Night Raw this week. Yeah, this is the closest we're going to come under this version, under these settings, to a real heel turn. You're right. It's more of an Austin-like anti-hero, but in within this structure, you're seeing heel tendencies, which is great. And guys, this match that later in Raw was fantastic. Was. Fantastic. You know the crap I give them when they take a feud that's already going on that, you, that, you're, wait, that you're building toward a pay-per-view of, and they just run the match back during the week for 25 minutes just to fill time. It makes everybody mad at means nothing this is this is one of those exceptions this is when raw does it right when you take two people who are not in a program together and you let them have a real pay-per-view match i mean this got this is awesome chance that was warranted it was grimy and physical that's it's not a rehash of a different feud i mean that's exact you don't know who's going to go over you don't know who's going to look better i know they they, they fought uh, at samoa joe's debut night on raw but this was really well done and then of course guys when braun crashes the party and i know in this day and age of dirt sheets and i get so mad because you know, as a WWE journalist, whatever that means, you got to follow the dirt sheets to a certain degree so you know what's going on, but it ruins your entertainment. And we knew Braun was coming back. We, we could kind of feel it based on things. We read it. With that said, with that knowing he was going to come back, it still worked and it still felt good because of the announcement. Guys, when he kicked over the ambulance, kicked open the ambulance it was awesome. and let out that growl, it was so awesomely corny. Like, it was perfect and belonged in an 80s movie. In fact, I'm not convinced that was actually Strowman. That may have been Ogre from Revenge of the Nerds. You remember <laughs> that guy? Character actor Donald Gibb played Ray Jackson in Bloodsport. I'm yo, serious. Yo, I'm not Ray convinced. Jackson in Blood. What a great reference by you. Have I'm you still pissed that the Chung, in- Chung Lee paralyzed Ray Jackson in Bloodsport. I hated Chung Lee. And by the way, have you ever seen uh, Ray Jackson and Braun Strowman in the same room? No, I, you I haven't. Have not, so no. I'm not sure that's not the same guy, but it was like an 80s type moment. And one more observation before I throw it to you. Strowman is so damn over. Yeah. Did you see that the crowd, to every motion of his arm, they were motioning the same way? 
This is a success for WWE. Congratulations. This is a great build. When Strowman dropped the mic on Roman's chest and and, and exclaimed that, you know, I'm gonna I want to meet you at, at Big Balls of No, Fire. and that's not what he said. He gave his it what's now become his trademark line, which is, I'm not finished with you yet. Which is exactly. which is so that needs to be I would get that t shirt if WWE made that t shirt. Well, the, my point on that is the spit that came out of his mouth was not spittle. It was like the size of a frog, and it just came out, and he drops the mic on Roman's chest. The crowd is red hot. It's one of those encapsulations. You take a picture. You say, well done, WWE, because you have built this guy red hot, and him stepping away for a while, clean up some junk in his elbow, fake that he's going to be out a long time. Success. Well done. And, we give the props, is, WWE. Well done. And this is why I think it's really good, right? Like, you knew it was coming, especially once you saw the ambulance, right? Because you have the tie-in with what you had seen previously with the two. So you knew it was going to be Braun Strowman. Like, this was not when the lights went out at Staples Center a couple years ago and The Rock first came back when he was going to host WrestleMania. It was not, like, that kind of surprise. But you still popped for it. Like, I was still sitting there like, wow, this is pretty cool. And as he's coming out, I'm like, this is great. And I marked out. So, I mean... The fact that they get you to mark out, even when you know something's coming, I think really speaks to the success of it. And I'm pumped for this match, Strowman against Reigns coming up the ambulance match at Great Balls of Fire, which, by the way, is shaping up to be, on paper at least, a pretty damn good card when you've got Joe and Lesnar at the top. Now you've got Reigns and Strowman. Likely you'll have uh, Rollins against Bray Wyatt. We'll have some other matches as well that we'll delve, delve into on, on In This Corner. But Silver King, uh, you marked out as well, I'm guessing, for Mr. Strowman? So yes and no. I'm, I'm going to give the positive and the negative because I, I want to be fair I'm not going to say it was bad because it wasn't it was good when that ambulance came in you knew it was Strowman great when he kicked the door open I was excited I was like oh wow this is great I popped for that and you, and he immediately jumped out and charged to the ring so you're like this is going to go down right now they're not making us wait this is fantastic here's where I didn't like it it felt like this segment was planned for the following week before he got injured and you know had to have surgery and was out 100% and, and they didn't touch it so they didn't change a single thing to say this guy's been out for six weeks or however long he was out. They just took a segment out of that show. They cut it on Microsoft Word, pasted it in this week's show, mm. and that was it. So I didn't like that. Also, here's the other thing I didn't like. I loved uh, – what's the line he says again? Uh, I'm not finished with right. you yet. I loved I'm not finished with you yet. Beats him down great. Braun Strowman should not be the one challenging someone else to an ambulance match. It's out of character. He's a beast. He's destructive. That's all he does. It should have been Roman who, you know, uh, crawls to to his to, to be able to stand, or later in the show while laid out on a gurney or something says, "I'm going to challenge Braun Strowman to an ambulance match." Then the match gets made. I thought it was very out of character for Strowman to challenge him to an ambulance match again, especially since we're so many weeks removed from the ambulance really being in play when they Can I jump ran in here and tell, tell you why I think it worked? Sure. Because Reigns in the storyline was the one that put Strowman out. So now Braun's coming back, so now he has a little impetus to make that challenge because because he had injured Reigns had injured Strowman so, in the story. So I totally agree with what you're saying. But the next week when that happened, perfect. Six weeks later... Well, they need to sell the injury if they're saying he's out for six months. He can't be back the next week. No, no, no. I'm just, no, of course not. I'm just saying if you're going to do the same segment, a cut-and-paste segment, you have to change it up a little bit. And that's where I think they could have had a little back and forth. Is it nitpicking? I'm probably nitpicking. I am nitpicking. It's fine. It was a great segment. I just didn't like Braun Strowman 
talking and challenging someone to a match like that. I thought it was out of character, especially when Reigns had been so good on the mic already this week. This is how we know, BC, by the way, the Silver King, all grown up. He goes, I'm probably nitpicking. No, you know what? I am nitpicking. We appreciate that sort of honesty, BC. <laughs> it's just one from statement the Silver on the King. way out, guys. Please. This, this is, this is going to be a sneaky match of the year contender, and I know that sounds crazy, but it will because the violence they've shown and, and the creativity within the violence that they've shown has been great, and it's involving Roman Reigns, your 1A guy in the company, why not blow this out and make this the most ridiculous, absurd? I mean, like, literally, it ends in both ambulances crashing together outside the parking lot to, like, f 80s action movie fire and explosions. Like, I want this to be in the running with the other technical great matches, right? Like, the typical, like, AJ versus anybody matches. I want this to be there in the end because I think this is going to be unreal violence. It's going right. to be amazing. A couple more notes on this before we move on to the second half of our main event segment. And I do feel like we do need to spend some time on this because there's a lot of stuff that we cram into the range Roman Joe thing, right? I'll just have one note on the actual match. I think you give Roman a lot of credit, right? Because it wasn't Seth Rollins or Finn Balor that had a good match with Roman Reigns. Like, this was, like, in theory, Samoa Joe should not be, like, in theory, the type of guy to have a great match with Roman Reigns. I think what both of the guys showed you is they are good enough performers where they don't have to work with the upper echelon, the elite guys in the company, to have these sorts of matches. So that was very encouraging. The match was very good. And the other thing that we need to hit here, and the last thing to put a bow on portion one of our main event segment, I think we're going to get... According to the dirt sheets and everything that you read, it's impossible to avoid this stuff, that it's going to be Strowman Lesnar, right, in the main event at SummerSlam for the Universal title. So Brock will likely go over Joe. Strowman's likely going to go over Roman Reigns. And man, if I'm going to SummerSlam and I think I'm going to be going to New York in my hometown, Braun Strowman and Brock Lesnar is something that would get me to fork over my hard-earned money. If that's going to be the main event, I like BC, the direction that WWE is going in. Big man all the way. From the very beginning, when you and I tried to fantasy book SS, I said, they're going to go this way, but I want them to go this way. And the want to go was Braun, Braun, and Brock. Let, let the big guys duke it out. Let's roll on. Let's do this. All right. Second portion of our main event segment we saw on SmackDown. You heard our analysis of the women's Money in the Bank match on our instant analysis pod Sunday night slash Monday morning. So we'll leave that in the rearview mirror for now. Focus on SmackDown and the fallout here. So Carmella comes out to open up SmackDown Live with Ellsworth. She cuts a fantastic promo, what I consider to be the best promo of her career. Throughout the show, you have all the women making their case to Daniel Bryan to do something about what happened. The last segment, they all come out. Daniel Bryan takes the briefcase from Carmella, says the interference was excessive. Um, on Talking Smack, they ban Ellsworth from ringside for next week where we will get a second women's Money in the Bank ladder match to determine who will be Miss Money in the Bank. Bryan Campbell, did this activate your old feel spot? No activation, but I will say, in the end, this was the right move, WWE. In, like, in an annoying way, it does sort of set up nicely where the women will actually get more of a spotlight than they ever would originally, you know, by opening a Money in the Bank card with the first ever women's Money in the Bank match. And I say annoyingly because of the way you sort of stretch it out and we endure a couple of days of, of us mansplaining, you know, hey, WWE and the women's revolution, you blew a chance to, to put the women over. Well, now, you know, whether this was their plan all along it still gives them a spot to do that, but to do that even better because we liked the action in that women's money in the bank match leading up to that questionable finish, but I still felt it was quick and they pulled the plug, you know, out of nowhere. Now they potentially can get the showcase opportunity to have a really great match. The best of their potential for these women. So in the end, you may fix all of your sins. You may also boost your ratings on SmackDown. So it's one of those for me, 
I, I didn't feel played. I felt a little annoyed, but I go, oh, okay, I see what you're doing. And then to close real quick on Carmella's promo, fantastic because it's honest. She's saying, I'm a heel. I'm overlooked. Everybody else has reasons why they get pushed. So I want to join that conversation. I'm going to cheat to get there. I was totally fine with that. This whole stunt of putting the case in her hands, even for three days, is only going to help her getting over in the future. So great, great job. What I like most about it was this. They made it a big deal. They treated it like a big deal when they announced it. They made it a big deal at the pay-per-view. And they made it a big deal on SmackDown. It took up the entire SmackDown show. They didn't mention Baron Corbin in the show, the winner of the men's Money in the Bank. They didn't mention Jinder Mahal. They didn't promo that the WWE champion was going to have a match in the main event until like the last second to last segment of the show. Well, they did early, but it was very like a throwaway at going into okay. a commercial I, break. I missed it then, so that, that tells you. No, but to yeah. your point, though, it was not. they did not spend any great time going into it. So just like with the Raw, our main event that we talked about with Raw, I have positives and negatives here. The negative is this. WWE did this as a pure ratings grab. There's no other way around it. They said, we can put this match at the start of Money in the Bank, and we can get two big ratings on SmackDown out of it. That's what they did, by giving a false finish, or whatever you want to call it. That's the negative. Here's the positive. I've told you guys before that I'm watching WWE Network right now, some of the uh, Raws and SmackDowns I missed from the time I didn't watch wrestling, which was about the end of 2002 through like 2006. I didn't watch any wrestling during that time. What I just recently saw on SmackDown while I was watching the WWE Network was an Iron Man match between Kurt Angle and Brock Lesnar on SmackDown. Oh, yeah. It was incredible. Yep. They gave that away on free television. Now, Brian, I know in the past you've said, hey, I I don't want these great wrestling matches on TV. I want them on pay-per-views. I want storyline development and all that stuff. And you know what? For the most part, you're right. But what we are about to get next week is a Money in the Bank ladder match that's going to last maybe up to 30 minutes, including commercials, on SmackDown to close the show. And it's going to be awesome. I thought that this was a pretty good execution of this angle on SmackDown on Tuesday night. I hated the ending of the Money in the Bank ladder match on Sunday. And I said that. And look, it's nuanced, right? You can like the fact that it put a ton of heat on Carmella and James Ellsworth and still hate the way that they booked it, right? So... I thought that they recovered pretty nicely here. I loved Carmella's promo. I thought it was outstanding. I thought Daniel Bryan, in his first show back in a while, was excellent on the microphone. He's 10 times better than Shane McMahon. He's 20 times better than Kurt Angle right now on the mic. So I really liked Daniel Bryan's involvement and Bry. This match should be sick next week. Like, I am officially looking forward to SmackDown. And my final word on this, and if you guys have any final notes, we can get into that as well. I think it's very cool. That in the year 2017, we had the women open up SmackDown, we had the women close a SmackDown, and it felt right. Like, there was never any part of me that was thinking, ah, this isn't really good, I want to get them off the screen here. It wasn't filler. The stories are good. The characters are good. The promos have been good. So I thought that this was very cool, and I think it's very cool that that will be the spotlight yet again on next week's SmackDown, and I think all of us are going to be really pumped for the Money in the Bank match coming up next Tuesday night. And what they did is they restored the lack of continuity in a storyline of giving your authorities authority responsibilities and making your authority figures actual authority figures by Daniel Bryan coming out, and I guess you could believe it was his return from being a parent, so he maybe wasn't 
in the building on Sunday during the pay-per-view and wasn't watching as closely. That's why he sent out that tweet. Well, no, now he's back, right? He's not still not eating GMOs, but he's back. He's back in there, and he stepped up in an authority spot and did it because that was the hardest thing to swallow. And maybe that's why I didn't pop massive for this advancement on Tuesday. It's that I was still a little caught up in, like, the— why are you taking three days to hammer down a judgment, you know, or two days or whatever, when every episode of SmackDown Live or every pay-per-view, it seems like Shane or Daniel is running out saying, no, 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 it can't end one like this. Restart the match. So it's just, you know, I guess this dots, you know, dots all your I's and crosses your T's and again, and in, in a, in a old crumpler like me can be happy. Algie Crumpler, great tight end back in the day. Moving Al- on. Algie Crumpler, I would say, was a decent tight end, made a lot better by the fact that he had Michael Vick throwing him the football in uh, in Hotlanta. I did like James Ellsworth, by the way, taking the shot at Daniel Bryan's daughter, and Daniel Bryan looked like he yes. got legitimately pissed, delivered the line, I'm going to punch you in the face, and then I will fire you. The crowd popped big time for that. That was pretty cool. And look, I love Daniel Bryan, but you brought up the GMO things, like the fact that the dude is vegan and doesn't watch TV. Uh, I would not want to have a beer with Daniel Bryan, but I will say that I definitely enjoy him as a performer in WWE. So for our next segment here, as we move past the main event, we're going to try something a little new here. In the Booker T, Chris Benoit, in their honor, and I'm going to say on honor of Chris Benoit, but remember their great best of seven feud over the television title in WCW. We are going to do a best of seven challenge. Hero or zero, myself, handsome Nick Costos, against the Brian Campbell, Judged by his honor, the Silver King, Judge Adam Silverstein. So Silver King, present us with the first case. Wait a second. We got to have all the stipulations out front. Go ahead, buddy. I, like Seamus and Cesaro, do Nick and I become become an item? (laughs) No. No, I do not want to be an item with you, bud. And I'm not sliding into your DMs as much as you might want me to. That will not happen. All right, guys. Let's... But, but, but you can like my Instagram pictures at the Costos if you would like. <laughs> let's kick this off with the other big news from Monday Night Raw. We finally saw Big Cass turn heel on Enzo. Cut the promo, kicked him in the face. Brian, hero or zero for the conclusion of the Who Done It angle? A light hero. I'm not going to bury this too hard because sometimes you just have to be happy with the end decision. People will say this may not have been the right time to blow it up. When WWE jumps the gun on things and does it when you don't expect, sometimes it is the best time. So slight hero because in the end, this was the best move. Now, in the moment, did I need less talking and more violence from Cass? 100% yes. I felt like he could have explained his decision much better with a blindside attack than he could have explained it struggling on the microphone back and forth. No question about that. There's the obvious questions of, hey, WWE, if you had the backstage footage, why are we waiting three weeks to reveal it? I don't need to watch Corey Graves and Kurt Angle text each other and miss Father's Day to, to get to that point. I get it, storyline. But they had me on the edge of the seat, right? I wanted to know who did, who did it. Maybe not itching on the edge of the seat, but I was like, okay, where are you going with this? Any disappointment I had, though, was sealed properly with the vicious boot to the face. That's how you do it. The camera work was perfect. As soon as he hit that kick, the way the angle of the camera, you just saw Enzo exploding. And here's the thing. We know Enzo's reckless in the ring, and he hurts himself so often. That's helped him in moments like this, where he took a reckless fall from that boot to the face, and you thought for a second, he actually might be knocked out cold. So they got me there. Slight hero, because in the end, that was the right move. I want to go slight hero as well here, but I will disagree. I really liked Cass's promo. Like, I didn't think he struggled through it. I actually thought he sold it pretty well. And any wrestling fan that's going to say that he was not excited to find out who done it is lying because that that's that's just how human beings are hardwired, right? You have this mystery that's about to be unraveled. So I like the way that they sort of presented it throughout the show because once Kurt Angle says, 
I'm going to crank the case tonight. You know the storyline's coming to an end, and that builds your curiosity and gets you excited for it. So stick around for the main event to see what happens. My big point of contention, Cash should have just beaten the hell out of him, left him lying there in the ring, and came out and cut that same promo next week on Raw. It just didn't feel organic, right? Like, if you're going to turn on someone, you turn on him by beating him up. Like, you're not going to sit there and talk in the guy's face for five minutes while he sits there and listens to you. He doesn't try and fight you back. Like, Cass attacked Enzo brutally two weeks in a row, and Enzo just standing there with this stupid expression on his face, waiting to get kicked in the face. So I, I, I was not a huge fan of, of that part of it. But overall, like I said, I, I think that this gets a slight hero from me. I am worried now about what they're going to do with Enzo Amore, right? Because without Cass now, I don't know if he's over enough without Cass. Over, with, he's over. You can pay, I don't you know, man. I'm, I'm nervous about Enzo moving forward here. Pair him with Big Show and do a cast feud and, and just let Enzo run wild with the mic. I did like Big Show's involvement in it, though. I thought he cut a nice promo and basically said to Kurt Angle, if you really think that I did this here, then maybe I, I don't belong on your show. So I, I thought Big Show did a pretty nice job there, Bry. And Nick, when you've broken a lot of hearts in your lives, it's the same thing as one of these segments, right? You don't wallow around five sentences of why this girl is no longer fit to be swiping right. You just deliver the bl- you deliver the blow. I mean, that's what happens, right? Or or you do like the real scumbag thing, and you just ghost and you don't say anything. You just you just disappear from the face of the earth. Obviously, you number, yeah. Obviously, that can't happen in professional wrestling. So that is the the big cast heel turn on Enzo Amore that we saw in the main event of Monday Night Raw. Judge Silver King, our second case. Before I get to that second case, I want to say one thing. You guys think Enzo's over? Over. I think his career's over. He might be. He's going. Oh! The, he's going the way of JTG. Let me tell you that right now. Oh, how, first of all, how dare you? How but second da- of all, JTG did, did change fashion by rolling up one jean leg. I was I was down with that. Tell me what they're going to do with Enzo. What are they going to do? Guys, he can really talk. He would be, yeah. obviously be a, a career manager, and he'd be incredible. I think he can work in a uh, in a in an announcement role. I think that there's good, there's there's more. There's a lot more life with Enzo. I, I, he's He's the brains of that group in terms of getting those catchphrases over and creating all those T-shirts. He's got a long run ahead of him because nobody sells like him, too. So that's another topic. And, and the one one thing here also, I, I did like the nod. to, to tri- Remember the Triple H Shawn Michaels who done it angle when Michaels got his face bashed into a windshield? And it turns out that it was Triple H, and Triple H does the, you're damn right it was me. And that was basically casted, the, you're damn right it was me. I think that was clearly a nod to, to that storyline. It's a second-rate Michaels, Hunter Hearst Helmsley storyline, but still a slight hero from both myself and the Brian Campbell. All right, guys, let's go back to SmackDown. We had Shinsuke Nakamura winning yet again in a singles match over Dolph Ziggler. Fantastic match. Took up, I think it was two segments, but it seemed like it was the whole show because you could not take your eyes off it. Is Shinsuke Nakamura officially on track? Nick? Talk to me. Not only is he officially on track, but the train's moving about 150 miles an hour right now. In between his awesome performance in the Money in the Bank ladder match at the pay-per-view and this awesome match with Dolph Ziggler on Tuesday night, I'm all in on Shinsuke Nakamura. And I'll eat some crow here because I said about a month ago on this podcast that I thought WWE had dropped the ball with him. Well, he's got the ball back and he's running full speed with it. This was a great match and about 20 times better than the match that these two guys put on at Backlash. Like This was better than Nakamura's debut match. I think it was Nakamura's best match since he came to WWE from NXT, including the Money in the Bank match. I thought this might have been better than the Money in the Bank match, all things considered. This was an awesome one-on-one singles match. Absolutely loved it, and I'm really excited now for what the future holds for Shinsuke Nakamura. Uh, I, a major, as, as much of a hero as I could possibly give this. A full hero. Look, I love the WWE balls out of this match. Hashtag because Hashtag it was physical balls. intense. 
gritty. And I groaned at first, meaning oh, I don't want to see these guys in a match. Like sexually? Like a sexual groaner? Oh, no, we just saw them on the pay-per-view. Come on. And then, of course, they completely win me over. You know, they can get bent for the Rockstar thing, and they always can. But, yes, he's back to where he needs to be. He's on track. The why, I got two little minor things, though. He can be improved with a manager. And I know this is not the era for managers. You don't just throw it on somebody who doesn't talk well for the most part. I mean, and you know, and it doesn't, you don't have to go get another Asian guy. It's not like we need Funaki-san to represent him. I just think if he had somebody else, a tag team partner or somebody that was around with him that can help him get over, it might help. And the one other thing, as much as he's full circle, he's back in the ring. And ultimately in the ring, it's where it matters, right? That's the bread and butter. That's the backbone. He's there. I do want a different entrance version for a for SmackDown compared to the pay-per-views. Because what made it so special on NXT, of course, was that he would make NXT appearances during the episodes, contract signings, interviews, without the full entrance. So, of course, when you waited for those takeover pay-per-views, a big part of the love of the takeover pay-per-views was that you knew Triple H was at Gorilla running the show and you would get the theatrical entrances. I know not everyone can be like Finn Balor, where you have two personalities and two separate entrances, where it's almost like two separate people. I just think that you're going to water him down and you already are when he comes out and does the gyrations and the hand things every single week. I, I maybe that's me being too finicky. And he was a special case in NXT where where we weren't, you know, we weren't overplayed. Where everybody else's theme song were overplayed. Everybody else's entrance were overplayed. I just think you want to make him special. You want to make him your real rock star. Then put him behind glass and only unveil that when it matters. He's a major hero, though. He's back on track. Yes. All right. Next up, we have Jinder Mahal. Continuing his feud with Randy Orton, guys, it seems like we're getting a third pay-per-view match out of this feud, maybe at Battleground. What do you think, BC, Hero, or Zero, for this feud continuing and the way it continued this week? I think it's a zero to continue it. I get why, right? Like Randy has to have a chance, at least a chance at getting his comeuppance from getting his family touched. And Kate Campbell, you've been complaining. You wanted a real life storyline put in here to get you to want to cheer for Randy and to get you to want to cheer against Mahal. And they hadn't done that enough yet. They hadn't built up the reasons for fans to be angry at Mahal. The reason why I give it a zero is it goes back to the beginning. Randy's not the right B-side for this, right? Like, he tried his best in that promo to put over real anger and refocused maniacism, right? It felt forced. They zoomed in on his face. The only thing that was fantastic about it was that comment about how he's going to go to India and rain down RKO's on Jinder Mahal's uncles and ancestors. That put a nice bow on it. And look, do I like when he's, you know, he literally dropped gender on his head in the timekeeper area like straight up he dropped him you know and you love the rko when the sing brother comes off the top rope but i go back to feeling like the silver king on, on in our sunday night instant analysis is we saw that already like we saw that every time so it comes it's more and this is the interesting this is the interesting thing let this be the defining point on me winning this hero or zero and this one is that once again here it's not really gender's fault it's really randy's not a great b-side where he where he is needed to be forced to elevate the A side. And I think, you know, when Randy's opposite another great Star Hall of Famer, he's fantastic. When he's opposite somebody who needs his help, he can't provide the help. So I'm actually a little bit more like, hey, Randy, this is your fault than Jinder, who is doing the most for his skill set and what he has going for him. So zero that they're continuing this. Uh, bro, you're, you're wrong on about eight different things here. And I Whoa. like how you prefaced all your wrong points by saying, here's why I'm going to beat you. And then you gave like four things that were incorrect. Number one, the Randy Orton promo that he did with Tom Phillips, right? The, the, the backstage thing that they filmed. It was fantastic. 
that's what you want from Randy Orton, right? If Randy Orton's going to be a good guy, he needs to be the anti-hero. He needs to have those elements of psychosis in his face character, where his face, uh, you know, stiffens up like that, like like he's an actual, like he's a viper, and he talks about what he's going to do and the violence he's going to inflict on Jinder Mahal's family. This was great stuff. That's what you want to see from Randy Orton. After a month of being silent, right, after the first pay-per-view loss, when he basically said nothing the entire month leading up to the rematch, which he, which he lost again, this was the right tack for WWE to take. The Randy Orton character has to come back now and has got to go strong at Jinder Mahal or else what the hell else have they been doing with Randy Orton for the past 15 years or so since he's been in WWE? I'm in on this. And here's my other thing that I think you're wrong on. You say that you think it's old, him attacking the Singh brothers. For me, I could watch a loop of Randy Orton dropping the Singh brothers <laughs> on their head from now until the end of time and I'd be satisfied. And that, that RKO off the top rope, it was more like a Stone Cold Stunner, like he caught him awkwardly. It looked like he like really stiffly dropped him uh, face first onto his shoulder. I really liked that. This was a major hero for me. And I actually liked the match, Jinder Mahal against Luke Harper. I am all in on Jinder Mahal, Randy Orton, part three. Silver King, I know I won this one. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I'm not going to give it away, but Nick, you see me smiling. Guys, I want a one-word answer from you. Assuming there is a rematch at Battleground, does Randy Orton win the WWE title BC? Heck no, because if he did, that would mean they were going to end up That's doing That's not a one-word answer? Yeah, that was about a nine-word answer. The answer, of course, is no. All right, and guys. the reason why is because John Cena needs to beat Ginger Mahal at SummerSlam. And neither of those are one-word answers. All right, next up, number four here on Hero Zero this week. We saw Baron Corbin circling like a shark during that Ginger Mahal-Luke Harper match. What did you think about that tease for a potential cash-in, Nick, Hero or Zero? Oh, I thought it was a hero. I actually liked Baron Corbin not being involved in the show up until the very end. He's still not strong enough on the mic to come out and do like a 15-minute promo solo by himself, right? And I'm a Baron Corbin guy, and I said on the Instant Analysis pod that I think this briefcase, this whole deal here, this device is going to be what takes him from a B-plus to an A-level heel. So I actually liked holding him out until the end. He's Mr. Money in the Bank. How do you put heat on Mr. Money in the Bank? By having him tease these cash-ins. And I like the dynamic of the heel Money in the Bank holder and also a heel champion. I think it's fairly interesting. I said it on Sunday night. When Baron Corbin eventually cashes in, he's going to win the belt. Vince loves him, right? So that's going to happen. When that happens, I don't think it's going to be against Jinder Mahal. So I think a face, maybe it's going to be Cena, maybe it's Orton, but I don't think it's going to be heel-on-heel crime there when Baron Corbin does eventually win the belt. But I've been a huge fan of his work. I liked what I saw on SmackDown. I like the teasing of the cash-in. For me, Brian, it's a hero. Let's just hope, Nick, that in that briefcase, you know, it'd be great if there's a contract and let's hope there's some Rogaine in there so we can really get this guy back to, if you want him to be an A-plus heel, we got to clean that up a little bit. It's a hero. It's a perfect tease. <laughs> when you put the case in the hands of a guy who can truly be elevated by it, you need to constantly remind people that he's lurking, that he can cash it in. Because look, cashing in the briefcase is a dirtbag move. You you have to be a snake and waiting for the right opportune time and sort of lurk. And pump faking it is a double dirtbag move. I'd like to see... What I said from the beginning is one of these two briefcases be on somebody for a long time so that's always in play. It's always when we make our pay-per-view predictions going, well, let's see. Well, this guy's in this match, but well, yeah, you could probably catch. Yeah, that's what I want to be doing. This is the right guy for it. Perfect. All right. Next up, guys, Seth Rollins on Raw. He gave the most pure babyface promo we have seen in quite some time. Did it make you believe that he can be a top face, not just on Raw, but in WWE? BC, hit me. 
Yeah, it did. And it surprised me because he finally had real conviction and it wasn't fake good guy conviction. Like I'm supposed to be playing a good guy right now, even though I know I'm better as a bad guy and everybody else knows I'm better than a bad guy. And Hey guys, don't forget 2015 when I carried the company, don't forget that. Right. This felt like real conviction for the first time as a face. Cause he finally had something to fight for that. It felt like he believed in. And that's why this storyline is now getting juicy and getting good in terms of the back and forth promos, because this week Seth basically stood firm as not just saying, Hey, Wyatt, you're not a God and you're crazy. He almost stood firm in like a spiritual war as an atheist. He came out and almost laughed at the idea of believing in a, in a godlike figure and having faith in something. So it wasn't just, Hey, what, well, you know, Bray, you're crazy. It was like, Hey, all of you might be crazy because I know I'm powerful because I don't have the crutch of needing to believe in something bigger than myself. It was a very interesting dynamic that sort of put a little bit of sympathy on Bray. Not that I, you know, in my own beliefs align with his dark spiritual overlord, you know, satanic type beliefs, but just the fact that here's somebody who's who, you know, it, it made you believe that maybe they can spin some sympathy, which they were not able to do with Randy when Randy burnt down Bray's, you know, prayer shack. And it was suddenly, wow, is Bray the good guy now? Cause no, it was, it was a little complicated. This was interesting. And I love in the end that Seth attacked first, right? Seth shot first. That's how, you know, we really could see in the long run that Bray goes over. I just like how, like, I think you were the only person that watched Monday night raw and watched that segment and thought, wow, I think that this is a commentary on religion and atheism. Like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, did you take some magic mushrooms before you watch this, buddy? Uh, you got you to gotta inhale the whole segment, right? I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that you inhaled it, buddy. Maybe you inhaled it a couple times because that take is, woo, right out of left field. Um, I'm just going to take it for face value, which is for what it was. It was a 15-minute wrestling promo that was not a commentary on religion. It was Seth Rollins' best baby face promo since he became a face. It was really, really, really good. Step in the right direction. I I am encouraged right now that Seth Rollins can eventually be a top-level face that could potentially carry a company. Big-time hero from yours truly. Nick, you were no different than the nine-year-old kids that were in the crowd at Camping World Stadium singing, Give me the green light, not realizing that they were asking for entrance into the you know this the secret garden and they were just completely oblivious to it that may have been you watching and show. i just can't believe that you know i've known you for all this time and i didn't realize that you were actually a secret member of the wyatt family i mean all you need to do is grow the long hair and get the beard i mean and go with sister abigail and i think you know we may be referring to you as brian wyatt by uh, by this time next week buddy with all this asinine talk about about theology and atheism it's a wrestling promo buddy it had nothing to do with any of that crap all right, but yeah, I leave politics and religion out of my wrestling. That's what Nick Costas is saying. Let's keep this going. We Unless Donald Trump's going to be shaving Vince McMahon's head, in which case I'm all in. <laughs> Let's keep this going, guys. We have Finn Balor returning after two weeks off television. And what does he do to make a massive impact? He interrupts the drifter, Elias Sampson. What do you guys think about this potential feud and a potential match at Great Balls of Fire. Nick, hero or zero? Um, it's a hero for me, slightly. Um, I really like Elias Sampson. I do think he could be better. And I've tweeted this, and I have some people tweet back at me, so I want to explain this a little bit, what I say. Now, I talk for a living, right? So I kind of feel like I am an expert on this subject since I am paid by a billion-dollar company and CBS to speak professionally. Elias Sampson is missing just a little bit from his delivery, where he needs to drag it out a little more. He rushes through his line. So when he does the, who wants to walk with Elias? He goes, who wants to walk with Elias? You know what would be better than that, more powerful? Who wants to walk with Elias? That would get more heat. Little things like that. The devil's in the details. But Elias Sampson's pretty close here. And I think this is a nice 
way to use Finn Balor here where he's not involved in a big time storyline or big time match heading into Great Balls of Fire. So you give him something to do. It elevates Samson. Samson's not going to win the match. Balor's going to win the match. But that's okay. Losing to Finn Balor is not going to hurt Elias Samson who is a heat-seeking missile at the moment. His work's been great on the microphone and the crowd loves to boo him. So this is a hero for me. And even if it's sort of unconventional to think Samson versus Balor at the pay-per-view... I don't know what else they were going to do with these guys, so uh, so I kind of like it. Yeah, this is a big hero for me because if you're going to commit to pushing Elias Sampson this hard, then you don't want him out there against uh, you know a mid-card or a jobber, right? You want him in something that matters. A lot of times you get one chance to present somebody as believable if you feel like they have long-term potential. They're committing to that one chance. I couldn't have been more overjoyed to see that they're actually aligning him with Finn Balor, that they're taking the time to find out how good Elias Sampson can be. And he may not be that good, right? But we're going to find it out opposite Balor, specifically in the ring when they finally get into a match and wrestle each other. But I think if Sampson doesn't come through, by the way, honky-tonk man style by breaking a guitar over someone's head eventually, and don't say Jeff Jarrett style, then it's going to be a failure. I, I'm waiting for it each week. I hope that there's going to be some gimmick guitars in the back that we're going to see because that is the most heel thing you can possibly do. Let's take a turn out of WWE as we wrap up Hero Zero. New Japan just announced that the field for the G1 tournament will have a great prize at the end. The winner of that tournament will get a main event slot at Wrestle Kingdom. BC, Hero Zero for the field and for that decision. You know, I, Hero for everything, NGPW, and every time you get closer, you realize that. And there's always been a reluctance of me because you only have so much time in the week. I cover three sports. You guys cover other sports, too. But every time I allow myself to get into NJPW, I pop and I go, this is what I should be watching. Now, the field pretty good, right? It's a good mix of of the really big Japanese names that, that if you follow that product, you know and well. You know, and then mix of some of the American guys, you know, not just Kenny Omega, who, of course, is the, is the most overstar there. But really, you know, some of the guys from the CWC, WWE's tournament last summer that didn't commit to WWE, Zack Sabre Jr., you know, Kota Ibushi, who may have had the best match, right, in that semifinal match of, mm -hmm. of the whole tournament. I, I'm going to give it a hero because everything from New Japan is a hero, but I got to give myself a zero because I'm still reluctant to jump in. In the same way, in the late 90s, I was reluctant to go all in uh, on The Grateful Dead because I'm like, if I'm going to go, I can't just listen to a greatest hit CD. If I'm going to go all, all in, I got to have the complete library of every concert they ever did, and I'm going to break down year by year. Yeah, and you got to buy a bong, and you got to get some weed, and you got to get really stoned, apparently like you were before you watched the Bray Wyatt, Seth Rollins thing on Monday Night Raw this past week. <laughs> if I'm going to jump in the deep end, guys, it's going to be hashtag WWE balls first. I'm going all in. You're soon, going balls deep. We get it. Yeah. Soon B-Cams is going to have to go all in on this. But I will say right now, New Japan does something in the ring that WWE just doesn't do. The matches feel real. They're indie crazy. They're out of control. It's fantastic. It's a huge hero. Will you allow me, guys, allow me to pontificate for a moment here? Because I'm being honest right now. This is not just as like a wrestling fan. This is Nick Costos, comma, human being talking to you guys and talking to the listeners right now. And I want to just go back to something Silver King said. I didn't write this properly in this year. So this is always the G1 winner always gets that shot at mm. Wrestle Kingdom. So I, I kind of screwed you up there. So that's, that's my bad, the way that I wrote this out on the rundown. Um, I took the time this weekend to watch Kenny Omega versus Okada 1 and 2. And... It lit a fire in me as a wrestling fan that I have not felt in quite some time. And I spent the better part of the weekend, the part where I was not out carousing, 
just consuming tons of NJPW content. I watched a ton of matches. I watched most of the G1 tournament from last year. I watched a ton of Bullet Club promos. I watched the heel turn that Kenny Omega and the Bullet Club pulled on AJ Styles when AJ Styles left NJPW to go to WWE. I am so in on New Japan Pro Wrestling that I'm not even sure I could put it into words. And I'm serious about this right now if you're listening to this. If you are listening to this podcast and you only watch WWE, I cannot recommend enough, highly enough, for you to DVR on access. Jim Ross is on the call, so it's English, right? You need to start DVRing this. You need to start watching it. I'm probably going to pay the $9.99 for the streaming service. This G1 tournament, just so people know, if you don't know what it is, it's like their version of the Royal Rumble, except it's a tournament over the course of a month with two brackets, and then the two winners of the brackets face each other. Winner gets a main event shot at Wrestle Kingdom, which is their version of WrestleMania. Now, Kenny Omega and Okada, who have had two of the best matches of all time, In this calendar year, six-star matches given by Dave Meltzer, who is the gold standard for wrestling reviewers and insiders in this industry that we all love so much. If they're going to be on opposite sides of the bracket, we could get Omega Okada 3 in the finals of G1. Maybe we get a fourth match in the main event of next year's Wrestle Kingdom. I love and I am obsessed right now with the Bullet Club, with Kenny Omega, with New Japan Pro Wrestling. I may or may not have ordered BC a Kenny Omega Bullet Club shirt that I will be getting in the next couple weeks that I may wear to SummerSlam when I see you next coming up Boys in Brooklyn, medium, New York. Right? Boys medium. I, but I only wear mediums and I'll probably cut the sleeves off because my arms are huge and I want to show them off. I I am so, so in on this. I am excited. I am galvanized as a wrestling fan. And again, go out of your way to find Kenny Omega versus Okada 1 from Wrestle Kingdom in January and Omega Okada 2 from Dominion just a couple weeks ago. These matches will absolutely blow your mind. Adam, get this guy's cigarette. We got to move on. So here. let me tell you two reasons why Nick Costas won this week. Here well, I won this week. Let me give you two reasons I'll why. lose the next like six months in let a row, me give so you no two. Worries. Let me give you two reasons why. One, if you're going to mark out that strong for New Japan to end the segment, you win. Two, Brian, you put the entire segment on the line with your awful Jinder Mahal take. Wow. And Nick Costas won that one too. So we have a four to three just edged you out victory, but won in two different ways. For nasty Nick. Uh, well, you know what's going to The happen. listeners will they'll come back on Twitter and they'll tell you how right I am on Bray Wyatt and Seth Rollins though, and how wrong Nick is. I know that won't sway me the victory. You got I that point. Nick. He brought it. He brought it this week. I'm just saying you'll find out. You'll find out. Yeah, yeah. Run. I'm sure you'll we'll ask that. You'll ask priests in the Catholic Church what they think about this. Maybe they'll agree with your ass and I take on theology. Brian Campbell. So we move on from my victory, stirring victory in the Hero or Zero Best of Seven Challenge, the first inaugural, and it's now time to slide into the old DMs. Brian Campbell. Tell the listeners how to get involved. You know, hit me up. And it's DM season is upon us. My DMs are wide open at B Campbell CBS. The Broskies at Silverstein Adam at the Costos are available as well. Hashtag in this corner. If you just want to tweet out your question, hey, if you can track down my personal email and don't try, you can hit me up there too. Just get your questions to us. We're for the people and by the people. Getting a lot high volume of questions lately. We appreciate that. You know, we want you to be a part of this. You know, you want you got a crazy question that's gonna make us all laugh. Bring it. You got a booking idea, bring it. We'll field the we'll filter through the best ones and we'll present them. At B Campbell CBS, at Silverstein Adam, at the Costos. You can also tweet using the hashtag in this corner, and we will get to your question. Silver King, what's first on the list? All right, first up is Pat for at Pat underscore all day. He wants to know if his career ended today, would the Miz be a Hall of Famer? And BC, before you answer, I'm gonna lay out his resume. He has a grand slam, he has a triple crown. 
He's won every single men's title except for the, whether you call it the World Heavyweight Championship or the Universal, the second world title for WWE. That's what The Miz has done in his career. BC, if he retires today, is he a Hall of Famer? He is, but there's a very complicated answer as to why. Number one, full disclosure, in the modern day era, which is really, you know, post-2001, The Miz is one of my, you know, two or three favorite performers by far. And he's really come on, especially in the past year and a half, to really validate that inside of me, how much I love this guy. But he would get in under WWE's current standards without, under with my mind, without a question. He's shown, he's become somebody that's almost Roddy Piper-like who can take over his own Miz TV segment. It's become, you know, part of the fabric of what Raw and SmackDown is. He's headlined a WrestleMania, which I know he pulls out like a sword. And the main reason why I say in the WWE Hall of Fame the way it is now is because, guys, they don't have standards, and it's a problem. Guys like Coco Beware get in out of nowhere, and Rikishi, you know, they suddenly become no-doubters. While other people who may have borderline political issues with the WWE either don't get in or they get in many years later, there's no real structure, right? And I know it's sports entertainment, but if they treated that WWE Hall of Fame a little bit more serious, I'd pop for that. If the WWE Hall of Fame was the same thing as the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York, then no, The Miz would be borderline and I think he probably wouldn't get in in the same way that a great guy like Don Magley is never going to get in until he's probably like 70 when they vote him in on that Legends rule down the line. So yes, he'd get in right now. For as much as I love him, I think in reality, he's borderline as he stands right now as at age 35. Well, you know, the uh, the baseball writers don't like to put steroid users into the Hall of Fame. Uh, you know what? I'm just going to let's just gloss over that here. But Silver King can actually see me here. You see the name that I wrote here. Just so he sees it, I had actually written down to mention a name that you mentioned, Bry, which was Coco Beware. If Coco Beware is in the Hall of Fame, obviously the Miz is a Hall of Famer. Um, I have nothing to add. I thought that you uh, that you nailed it pretty well there, buddy, so we can move on to our second DM. All right, next up is Kevin at K Short with two Ts, 83. Triple H has recently said it's hard to work the smart crowd. Was the finish of the women's Money in the Bank batch booked? To cause outrage among those smart fans? And do you think it worked? Nick, what do you think? I think it's clearly, it's yes, and it's yes. Um, People were really pissed off. The the crowd was pissed. And I think if you actually think about it, right? I just said the word think like eight times in one sentence. That may be a world record. But if you actually do think about it, the way that they drew it out, right? When you thought that the referees might be ready to reverse the decision and then Ellsworth grabs the mic, announces Carmella as the winner, her music plays and they leave, they ride off into the sunset together. It was actually fairly brilliantly done and I think that it actually worked now I will still hold that I think that that match deserved a clean decisive winner given that it was the first one but if we're talking about like the goal being to get people pissed off the goal being to put heat on Carmella and Ellsworth yes I think it was the goal and Brian I do think that it worked yeah, I mean, you know, we, we kind of hit that. I do think that it worked in the end. But, the you know, I want to address that first part. Is, is it hard to work the smart smart crowd? You know, no, it's not hard to work the smart crowd in, in in reality. Like, I felt like they decided to be annoying for the sake of being annoying the way that they booked this. And obviously, that, for everything I talk about, they repaired it in the end. But you know what? There is a way to please the smart crowd, and it's called creativity. It's called attention to detail. It's called designing finishes that will either create wildly huge cheers from smart audiences or wildly huge jeers this felt like they were a little lazy in between trying to annoy people. You know what, WWE, in the long run, it feels too much like obviously you try to stretch out a storyline and connect it from one pay-per-view to another with trying to do as little creativity in the, in the meantime for many reasons that you don't feel like you don't have to. If you really want to work a smart crowd and get 
And the smart crowd is your most hardcore crowd, by the way. You really want to work on them. Repair the leaks right now that you have of every new angle and surprise getting released to a dirt sheet two months in advance. How about that? Maybe float some bad rumors of your own so when the big moments happen, they feel like a bigger surprise, thus pleasing the smart crowd. The smart crowd really wants to feel like they did when they were a kid again and they didn't know better and things felt real and they felt raw. How about in general, you just stop booking, for example, the women's divisions right now, like they're second class because it starts at the top, guys. It really does. SmackDown Live before this late Tuesday night swerve really wasted the last month and a half with stupid, mindless welcoming committee crap. And if you look on Raw now, they're essentially developing their own welcoming committee. You know what the welcoming committee is? It means we don't want to book anything or do anything yeah. creative for the next two months. So we'll just put eight women in the ring every week at one time with no real storyline, no tangibility there. You want to book for smart fans? Stop insulting their intelligence and, and treat them like, like like as smart as they are. I mean, that's the, the formula in the end. I hate when – and I love – Triple H, Paul, whatever you want to call it. I love him. I, you know, I love him. I've interviewed him a whole bunch of times. But he does attack those smart fans who think they know it all. No, that's just your most passionate fan base. Make them pop. It, 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 it can happen, right? It can happen. It yeah. has happened before. Make them pop. I just have one thing to say to that. That was an awesome rant, and you're 100% right. And I sort of missed like the whole crux of the question, I guess. And um, if we were judging this, thank God we're not. I mean, you crushed me on that one. But one thing I want to add here, and this just circles back to the New Japan conversation we had. When you look at the roster that WWE has, like the talent that they trot out on both of these shows here, it's pretty unacceptable that the shows aren't as good as they could be, right? The fact that New Japan puts on these amazing wrestling shows, every single pay-per-view and everything that you see is pretty much a high quality. The fact that WWE can't get it together and put on great shows, a great three-hour show and a great two-hour show every week with this awesome roster they have, you're absolutely right, Bri. It is pretty maddening and... um. You know, I, I think that you were 100% right, buddy, so yeah. you nailed it. Yeah, it, it's as simple as this. The smart fans being upset was an unintentional side effect of bad booking. And that, yes. that that's really all it was. So did it upset them? Yeah, it did. Did they do it on purpose to make that happen? No. Oh, I think they definitely did it on purpose. That I disagree with. No, I think they just wanted to extend it two weeks and get a bunch of ratings on SmackDown. No, but no, but no, but they had to know that that was going to happen, right? Well, they knew fans would boo, but I don't think they were going after the smart fans. They were just going after fans in general. You That's could be, all. You could be right. All right, next up, Blake Molina at Blake Mo underscore. He says WWE has really put over Samojo's Coquina clutch, especially over the last week, which makes him wonder if we'll ever see the Muscle Buster again on WWE programming. He used it all the time on NXT but he's only teased it once or twice since joining the main roster. Got to figure the pro- the crowd would pop, especially if it was to Brock. Uh, Nick, what do you think about that? Um, I think that they're probably not going to let him use it here, and I think the reason why is that he can't hit it on everybody, right? Like the Gokina Clutch is a move that you can put on everybody. And in NXT, with most of the performers being smallish in the main event, like even Bobby Roode's a guy that he could probably hit it on. Like Samoa Joe can't hit Big Show with the Muscle Buster. He probably can't hit Big Cass with the Muscle Buster, right? But he can put anyone in the Gokina Clutch. I do think that we will see him hit Brock with it at Great Balls of Fire. Brock will kick out. The crowd will mark out. But moves like that. The muscle buster is kind of a dangerous move, right? Like, obviously, you trust Samoa Joe. He's done it to a million people. He hasn't hurt anybody. But, but man, they're clearly trying to get away from high-impact moves like that that especially involve the neck region. I mean, the fact that they got rid of Seth Rollins' curb stomp to me was, was asinine and ludicrous and just showed you the direction that they're moving in. So, unfortunately, Blake, I don't think we'll see the muscle buster used on a regular basis, but I do think he'll bust it out, like you noted, in big matches, maybe even coming up at WWE balls against Brock Lesnar. I got I got two words for you why you won't see this again. Spinal fusion. I got two more, four more, lucky to be alive 
and then two more Tyson Kidd. All right, do the math, put it together. He's he he shouldn't have ever been able to walk again. And then obviously it's not Joe's fault per se, but he put him in that house show in, in that spot in that uh, muscle buster. Tyson Kidd's lucky to still be around. It's a tough move. And by the way, Nick, Kenny Angel's uh, Kenny Omega's one wing angel, which is an incredible finishing move, is almost like a one leg version of a muscle buster slash suplex. And it's incredible. And it looks like it breaks someone's neck every single time he does. It. Uh, by the way, bad job for me forgetting about the Tyson Kidd thing. That's a great point, And that's really like the whole crux of the argument. Yeah. And, you're, and you're right about that. And Kenny Omega, please don't come to WWE because I think WWE would ruin him. That's just a fanboy moment from yours truly. Yeah, that what Brian said is what I was going to say. I think it's banned. Like, I think it has is the pile driver, the regular pile driver. We don't see it. They banned the DDT for a short period of time. They brought that back, thank God. But I think the Muscle Busters banned. I think they saw that happen, and they said, Joe, I think he has, like, some other spinning type of suplex, or he has some other move that I don't think he's used as a finisher but could be. Um, so I think that's probably going to be the way they go. Let's finish up these DM questions here with Gil at G. Gary Harris. Guys, what is your favorite WCW Ooh. match of all time? Oh, yep. BC, we're going to start with what you. What a great question. All right. So I'm going to give you my number two answer because my number one answer is the Ric Flair, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat trilogy from 1989. It's incredible. But I have a question for it's you, so BC, before you continue. Is that NWA or was that WCW? Because I was thinking about this. It was essentially the same at that gotcha. point. Gotcha. Okay, were, go on. Yeah. You know, they were representing the NWA. Sometimes they were in good graces with them. Sometimes they weren't. Eventually they weren't. Then they created WCW. It's all. It's a little bit gray to me at where the exact distinction was. But to me, basically, anything Crockett, you know, anytime you have the NWA belt, anything that became WCW is all the same lineage in my mind. Obviously, it's a Flair Steamboat. For all the reasons everybody says it's so smooth, it's so perfect. My favorite WCW match is actually the match that spun out out of that. If you remember, Wrestle War 89 was the final Flair Steamboat. Flair wins back the title. After the match, they had judges in that match. One of them was Terry Funk. He challenges Ric Flair to a match, to a title defense. Ric Flair says no. He pile drives Flair through a table. The table in didn't break though, right? That just yeah. did not happen. That was the this was the height of Funk's career when he had almost improbably retooled himself back into a main event level talent. He had Gary Hart as his manager, which was brilliant. The match I'm talking about, and they had a wonderful feud after Flair sat out a while to sell that injury, was the I Quit match. And it happened in 1989 at Clash of Champions 9 New York Knockout, which was amazingly at the Houston Fieldhouse in Troy, New York, of all venues. Incredible match, ending with the I Quit in the end. And if anybody, and it's got a five-star rating from Meltzer, but if anybody doesn't know specifically this window of Terry Funk's career, and his career has obviously been incredible, and so there's a lot of people that only know him from ECW and from Chainsaw Charlie in, in the late 90s and how crazy he was. There's only there's some people that only know him from the 80s WWE when he was a sort of upper mid-card heel, but nothing more. Some people know that even in the 70s, he won the real NWA title early in his career. But this is my favorite portion of his career, the 89, 90, 91, because it was the first time he was like really legitimate as a top end heel. He would spit tobacco, but in the ring, he mixed his craziness with his actual foundation of strong in-ring wrestling. And guys, this was that stretch of 89, 90, 91, where WCW's matches felt real, where WWF started to feel obscenely cartoonish. And it was right around this time, this run in 89, where Zeus comes on the screen in WWF <laughs> and I'm fired up to see him and he pops my balloon at how awful he is and I'm staring ever more into WCW land and getting matches like I Quit, Ric Flair, Terry Funk, classic. God damn, that was a great answer. And, and if you've never seen that angle that he's talking about where Funk turns on Flair and pile drives him, now correct me if I'm wrong, 
He doesn't go through the table. The table doesn't break, no, right, when Funk Pile yeah. drives him. And and Flair sells the hell out of it. The I Quit match is great. And that Flair Steamboat trilogy that BC referenced in the late 80s is sublime. Like, it's those matches are perfect. And you will watch them and gain a greater appreciation for Steamboat and also for the Nature Boy. So if you've never seen those matches, go out and get them. I think they're all on the Flair DVDs that came out. I know there have been a ton of them. But, but any retrospective on the career of Nature Boy, if you're a wrestling fan, you should go out and watch it. So that's a really good answer. I'm going to go in a different direction here. It was my favorite run from like the NWO era of WCW, my favorite match from that era, and it's a triple threat match for the United States Championship at Uncensored 98 between Raven, Diamond Dallas Page, and Chris Benoit, which is a very physical match. Falls count anywhere. No DQ. They're outside of the ring. You've got the stop signs involved. You've got the weapons. Some terrific work. And the the mid-card in WCW in that time, the NWO time, was overshadowed, of course, by the, by the egomania of Hulk Hogan and Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. And they were featuring all the old guys and, and sort of burying the guys like Benoit and, and DDP, etc. DDP eventually got his run, but Raven never really got his run. And these were great performers, and they, they were operating at the height of their powers here. They told a great story, and it was a phenomenal, phenomenal match. So that is my favorite WCW match. So I never once, ever ordered a WCW pay-per-view. Really? Now, I've seen a lot of the matches, the really good matches since, and plenty of stuff on Nitro, obviously, but I never ordered a pay-per-view. This is what I'm going to tell you my favorite match of all time was, and it may not stack up with the Steamboat stuff in 1989, but it was a really good match for a casual fan of WCW who was really a fan of Monday Night Raw and WWE. Goldberg versus DDP, which was supposed to be at Halloween Havoc 1998, but guess what happened? What happened? It went way too long, the pay-per-view. Why? The cable op because of uh, what? Because of Hogan, Hogan and Warrior. It was Hogan Warrior. Warrior. Yeah. Ho- the Hogan Warrior rematch, which was terrible. It went way too long. They had to cut off. And what did they do? They put the entire match for free on Monday Nitro. It was a great match. In the era of the NWO, you had Goldberg and DDP, two faces going head-to-head. I believe Goldberg was still undefeated. And DDP, as a face, was like, I'm the one. I'm going to end your winning streak. It was a great match. He didn't ultimately end up winning. Goldberg obviously continued. But I just remember being psyched that it got cut from the pay-per-view and was on free TV on Monday Nitro, and I was going to get to watch it, and it really delivered. So that's mine. Bri, um, on this, okay, first off, that's Goldberg's best WCW match. Maybe his yeah. best match ever. Great call by uh, you. Oh, hey, the Lord Steven Regal one, by the way, where it was like a shoot match, and he really tried to push Goldberg in the, <laughs> in the height of that Goldberg on Beaton Street. Go back and watch that one. That was a good one. All as right, well. I have a trivia question for you guys here. And Bri, I think you got a chance of getting this right. Um, Silver King was not watching it this time, so I'm not for WCW at this time, so maybe, maybe, maybe not. Do you remember how Hulk Hogan beat the Ultimate Warrior in their WCW match at Halloween Havoc 98. Do you remember how it happens? Who interfered? Cage match. It's not a cage match, but it was outside interference. Someone hit Warrior with a chair and Hogan won the match. Do you remember who it was? I should remember. I do not remember in this in this live moment right here. It is so bad to think about when you actually had Hogan and Warrior, like one of the great matches in WWF history. They do it again in WCW, and it ends when Horace Hogan hits oh, Warrior yes. with the chair, and Hogan, and is that not the classic WCW moment of all time that the pay per view goes off the air during their World Championship match? Like things like that is why WCW can never consider it to be better than WWE. But I, I really like to get all of our his family answers. over, right? He's going to get Michael Allen Belea over if, if, <laughs> if, if, if he, you know, in a main event against the Warrior, whatever he's got to do, right? Uh, absolutely unreal. That did not hit me in the field spot when it happened. It doesn't hit me in the field spot 
spot now retroactively. So let's discuss what did hit us in that old feel spot this week. Brian Campbell, starting with you, what tickled your fancy this week in pro wrestling? Look, we talked about the Miz earlier. His comedic timing this week and the recruitment of that jobber security team, the whole thing just made me pop. And they go into another sort of, you know, in-ring segment that could have been really bad. This time he's trying to apologize to Maurice and get her back in the good graces. And you see the guys in the bear costumes again. You see the grandfather clock. I thought once again, Miz told that line perfectly. I thought Maurice was fantastic. It should have been cheesy. It should have been, man, we've seen this already. And I was hooked and I was and I was dialed in the whole time. And in the end, here's what I popped for. His, here's what the, the real wrestling fan came out. I was able to just kind of get, seduced by what I was watching and not think about things. And I had forgot earlier in the night that he recruited Bo Dallas, that he recruited the ax man, Curtis Axel. And the second that Dean Ambrose turns around and, and you realize that the two guys in the bear suits are not just two jobbers. They're actually the two guys It connects the storyline. I don't, I drank the tallest glass of Mark milk. You can call it, you know, we used to call it Mark juice last week. You call it milk of Marknesia. I just poured it over my head and was like, aha. Oh yeah. And it made me feel young and innocent again before the world corrupted me. And I was like, that's great. You build the story early, you pay it off at the end. And if this goes forward, if the Miz creates his own job or security team, you know the success he's had. I look, I loved Alex Riley by his side. I especially love Miz Dow by his side. If he can elevate these two guys, this gnarly looking Bo Dallas with the long hair who's probably on his way to the Wyatts, and they shouldn't have had him out there to show us that, and Axel, who's really the bottom of the barrel, unfortunately, right now on the roster, probably him in the Ascension. I know people don't like to talk like that, but it's really bad for Axel. You get him involved, that they can become protection for the Miz. The Miz is the perfect guy to pull that off because he's a chicken crap heel right he pulled his wife in front of Ambrose yet again I just think that whole thing should have been really bad this week and not only was it entertaining they marked me they caught me with my mark down they pulled the milk of Marknesia over my head and we celebrated and, and I was down for it I popped that's that's me so my feel spot really comes off of that and it's this I liked all the returns and debuts that we saw in WWE and this week we saw Bo Dallas, Curtis Axel, American Alpha's music hit. We saw Luke Harper, and then at Money in the Bank, Mike and Maria made their debuts. So I was, I loved it. Every time you hear some music or you see someone you haven't seen in a while, especially if you like them, it always makes you feel good. Oh, yeah, they're here. Maybe they're going to do something with you now. It gets you excited. Where I kind of lost that feel spot a little bit was what WWE did with all these people. So this so, is an anti-feel spot this No, no, week. it's a oh. feel spot still, but it's just I, I kind of wish they did a little better. Like, you have Mike and Maria on Money in the Bank. Great. Where were they Tuesday? Like they didn't. There was no follow up to that. You had Bo Dallas looking aggressive, really getting a lot of good work in, and then he joins the Miz when he had the beard. He was looking crazy. Maybe he joins his brother Bray Wyatt. Like that could have happened. Um, American Alpha's music hits great. There's still no backstage seg- segment, no character development for them, and okay, he loses. And it was kind of cool that they were there, but they still haven't done anything as a tag team in months. And what are they doing? So, and Luke Harper comes back, dominates the WWE champion in the main event. Luke Harper dominated that match, looked incredible. Same old gimmick, could have used it as a launching point for a new one and didn't. And ultimately lost due to distraction again when they could have built up Jinder Mahal, getting an actual real victory over someone that it really wouldn't hurt. So I loved all the returns. It was great to see these guys. But ultimately, there were so many missed opportunities with all of them. It just makes me feel as a fan... 
I wish they could have done it a little bit better. Wow, he's anti-field spot. Because it would have meant so much more. into the field spot and blowing it up. Being I like, mean, hey, what is I was that? I'm about to tell you something good here, and now I'm just going to crap on WWE at the end. He just violated the terms <laughs> of the field spot. Yeah, he, yeah we're putting Silver King it in the penalty box. still made me feel we're good. Putting, we're putting Silver King in the penalty box for a couple minutes here for completely disregarding the rules of our segment here, the field spot, which is the good in professional wrestling. I'm going to take my field spot this week international. I referenced it a little earlier, but I just want to reiterate this. Okay, I'm not going to go for long on this because I've already waxed poetic on it. Kenny Omega versus Okada. One and two, Wrestle Kingdom and Dominion. This, this made me feel, feel feelings that I have not felt watching wrestling in quite some time. Kenny Omega is like pants. a combination. Set the stage. Pants on, yes? Um, I think I was probably just wearing boxers because I was home alone right. in my apartment. That explains a lot. Keep yeah, going. It's, it's, it's a fantastic visual, I know, thinking of me and my, my boxers in my apartment. Kenny Omega is like a combination of Shawn Michaels and AJ Styles. And that sounds like high praise. I mean it as high praise. The selling DDP's is fantastic. DDP's hair, bro. DDP's hair. He does have the DDP hair, and he does, he rocks the different hair at the different events, which I think is pretty cool. He's like a like an RPG villain. Like and He's obsessed with video games, if you know about Kenny Omega. The selling is fantastic. The athleticism is through the roof. I actually enjoyed watching this. You know what hit me in the feel spot? The Japanese commentary. Because you don't know what they're saying. I don't speak Japanese, obviously, but you can tell when they're getting super excited when the good stuff's happening. And it's pretty cool to hear them exclaiming in different languages after Kenny Omega does a springboard moonsault over the guardrail onto Okada in the first match. Just absolutely sensational, superb stuff. And really, like I said, it lit a fire under me as a fan of pro wrestling that I haven't felt in quite some time as someone who has been a monogamous wrestling fan, only with one woman, that woman being WWE. Well, I cheated on WWE this weekend, and it was unprotected. And goddamn, it felt good. Wow. Wow. I feel violated by that part of it, too. Wow. So those matches, they don't have them in English? Um, I think that you could probably find them with English commentary, but I mean this sincerely. It will not detract from your enjoyment of the match if you watch it with the Japanese commentary. In fact, I actually sent it to one of my buddies, and he watched it, and he actually felt the same way that I did about the Japanese commentary. Not knowing what they're saying, but sensing when things are about to pick up based on how they're speaking made the whole thing really exciting. So that hit me in the old feel spot, and that is how we are going to end this week's edition of In This Corner with Brian Campbell talking all things professional wrestling. Brian, tell the listeners what else they have to look forward to this week on In This Corner. Yeah, loaded week, along with the Money in the Bank instant analysis show that we teased earlier. Look, this is a loaded boxing episode of In This Corner featuring sit-down interviews with Adrian Broner and Mikey Garcia, who will meet in a July 29th showdown, one of the biggest fights of the summer. Rafe Bartholomew along the way as well. And in an MMA appearance this week, strong interviews. Bellator light heavyweight champion Phil Davis, heavyweight Matt Mitrione. Both will be a part of Saturday's Bellator NYC pay-per-view inside Madison Square Garden. A big deal for that company this week, so... Check it out. I mean, we're, we're, you know, the invasion continues. We're coming for your free time. We're coming for your Coakley eye, all right? We're, get, we're getting up in that. And remember, DMs, at Silverstein Adam, at B. Campbell CBS, at The Costos. Subscribe on iTunes. Leave us a five-star review because we're awesome. Rate us and review. We all really appreciate it, especially me, because I am insecure, and I need your adulation in order to justify my existence on this planet. So for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, I am handsome Nick Costos. Brian Campbell has got two... Two words for you as we pick up with you again next Wednesday. We out.